Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. At the end of church, but um, as we go out today, we're going to need some manpower to help get these, or woman power as well, if you know, um, but, but if we need to get these out into vehicles in order to be able to transfer them to east side tomorrow. And so I'll mention that again at the end. Um, but if we could get that at the end, that'd be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so sorry I forgot to mention that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We thank we thank you for your faithfulness um, with this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're thankful for that. Um, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Adrian, can you hand me that water bottle there on the front? <clears throat> Galatians 5, we'll do the first half of chapter 5 today. Um, there's a pastor in Colorado named Sean I read one of his books recently, and in, in that book, he, he tells the, a story about his family. Um, Sean's brother, Paul, um, went to prison for two years a few years ago. He had a two-year prison sentence. Um, he committed a crime that wasn't bad enough for a life sentence, but was bad enough to get you in prison for two years. And, um, and Sean um, tells the story about his brother. Um, and, and, and when the day came that, that Paul was going to get out of prison, um, the, the family got together to celebrate. They got together to have a party. Um, they lived in Kansas, and um, his aunt Jane threw a party. She lived out in the country. She lived on one of the, in one of those houses with a long dirt driveway, barbed wire fences on both sides to keep the horses in. And um, they threw a party, and relatives came from all around to celebrate Paul's freedom. If you had seen the party, you w- you, you would have seen lawn chairs out in the yard, coolers filled with drinks. Uh, people wearing homemade jean shorts, um, NASCAR shirts, a lot of mullets. Um, you would have seen people playing horseshoes. You would have seen kids running around and playing. You would have seen people laughing and telling stories. But one thing you wouldn't have seen was Paul. The entire party was being thrown to celebrate Paul's freedom, but he wasn't participating. Paul was just sitting out on the back porch by himself smoking. Everyone was celebrating his freedom, 
except him. Sean later asked Paul why this was the case. Why did he do this? And this is what Paul told him. Listen to this quote. Paul said, I was scared. I had been locked up for two years. I had to watch everything I did and every word I said. It was all I knew. I didn't know how to stand and talk to people. I didn't know, how to, I didn't know what to say or how to act. It just terrified me, so I sat out back by myself. Paul was a free man on paper, but internally, he still felt like a prisoner. He didn't know how to live free. And I think that's a pretty good description of the Christian experience. We are free in Christ, yet so often we lock ourselves back up internally. And that's what Paul's going to talk about today, um, being free in Christ and not falling back into being locked up. And so um, Galatians 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The book of Galatians has been pretty super upfront that we're born slaves to this world. All of us are born slaves to the world. We're, we're, we're also prisoners in the kingdom of Satan from the moment we're born. We're born captives and there is no escape for us. We are in a prison more secure than Alcatraz. And we will never use a spoon to bore a hole through the wall to escape through the sewer. That's not going to happen. But Christ came. Christ came. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he set captives free. That, that, that freedom can be true for a Christian now. He came into the prison and he let us out. He defeated anyone who might prevent us from escaping. He crucified our sins and killed them. He raised to life and he provided the new way to life. Ephesians 4, 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over 
them in him. This was his mission. Jesus didn't come to provide a way for nice people to go to heaven when they die. No, he came to free captives from the prison they were trapped in that they might know freedom forever here and in eternity. We were enslaved to the world, the devil, and our own sins. We were held captive as prisoners, and Christ came and led us to freedom and led us to victory. If you're saved, you've been freed. You've been freed. We're free, but we struggle to live free. Verse 1 sets that forward. It's, it's kind of the thesis of this entire section, the, the argument Paul is making. Christ has set us free, so stand firm and don't go back into slavery. He wants you to be free. We struggle to know how to live free, though, just like Sean's brother Paul. We're so used to being captive to this world, it takes us a long time to grow out of that. We continue doing things the way we did before we were free. So Paul's instructing us in this passage how to live free, since we often don't know. What does it look like to live free in Christ? I'm going to say that he, he lays out three things about freedom in Christ in this passage. The first is verses 2 through 6. The second is 7 through 12. The third is 13 through 15. What does it mean to be free in Christ? Well, verses 2 through 6 Freedom in Christ means that we're free from having to justify ourselves. We're free from having to prove ourselves. We're free from having to, um, uh, from having to prove ourselves to others. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. So when I was in high school, there was a website on the internet that became really popular in my hometown. I don't know if it became popular everywhere else, but um, it was called Topics. T-O-P-I-X. Topics. And um, I actually looked up this week, and the website got shut down, th thank goodness. Um, topics. Um, what Topics was, was it was an internet forum. And they had a forum for every town in America. So you could go on, and you could find a Tipton, Georgia Topics forum. And you could find a Buffalo, New York Topics forum, and, and a Austin, Texas. And they had one for my hometown. And so what you could do is anybody could go on there and post anything they wanted, and it was anonymous. You could post anything you want, and it was anonymous. So that sounds like a recipe for happiness, doesn't it? And so it was like a town gossip place. So that people would go on there, and they would post a forum about, you know, Howard Duvall, what do you know about this guy? And Jerry Clack, what do you know about this guy? And people would just comment anything they thought about those people. Well, one day, one of my mom's coworkers told her that apparently someone had made a thread about me. I didn't realize how was that interesting, but I guess, I, I guess so. So I got on there and read it, which was probably not a good idea. I got on there and found it. And um, I read it, and everything imaginable was spoken ill about me. It was early days of my faith, so I was kind of a jerk in my faith. And, um, I mean, people said things to the extent of, I think this guy wants to marry God which theologically, the whole church is married to God, but we won't even consider that. But um, I'm just reading this, and, and I start going into lawyer mode. I start going into defense attorney mode, right? And so I'm reading it, and I'm seeing all these things people are saying about me, and I start commenting. You don't really understand me. Hey, that's not true. Typing all these things, which only made me look more pathetic than this forum was making me out to look, right? Let me give you a little... Nugget of wisdom that 30-year-old me knows that 17-year-old me did not know. Don't engage with petty stuff like that on the internet. 
The internet is where cowards go to say things they're too scared to say in person. We naturally want to defend ourselves. We naturally want to make a case for why we're not as bad as everyone thinks we are. We seek to justify ourselves, and we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do that. If we're saved, what can man say to us to take away the righteousness that we have with God? What can man say? It was secured in the death of Jesus. Not even the devil himself can take it away from us. But we naturally feel the need to continue justifying ourselves. Like there's something incomplete of what Christ has done in us. Because we don't see the full effect of what Jesus has done for us yet. But we will. This is why it's so easy for the, remember, the Judaizers are the people troubling the Galatians. They're telling them that you have to be circumcised to be saved. Their faith in Christ is good, but you also have to take that one extra step. Um, They're telling them that. And actually, this is the first time, Galatians 5, that Paul actually mentions circumcision. Um, It's the first time he mentions that, but we know that's what's going on. Um, and, And he tells them, look, circumcision is the sign of the old covenant. We're in the new covenant, okay? So the new covenant, the, the, the sign of the new covenant is baptism. And so God has brought a new symbol there. Um, but the Judaizers don't believe that. So they came in and started telling people, yeah, Christ died. It did most of the work for you, but you still have to do this one thing or you can't be saved. And remember, they're Gentiles, so they wouldn't have been circumcised at birth the way Jews are. And Paul has some pretty strong things to say in this passage about that very idea. He gives three warnings here in verses 2 through 6. First, he says, uh, he says verse 3, um, actually verse 2, I'm sorry. If, if you accept this idea of circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. No advantage whatsoever. If you believe anything else can save you, he says, you will not run to Jesus for salvation. If you believe that your good works or your, um, your political affiliation or your nationality or, or whatever, if you believe those things can save you, you're hopeless. You're never going to run to Jesus because you think you have another way. If you believe being a good person can justify you, you'll see no need for Christ in your life. I mean, yeah, those bad people I know need Jesus, but... I've got manners and tuck my shirt in, so I'm good. None of that can justify you, and you believe that it can, and it will make the gospel have no power in your life. He says, secondly, verse 3, if you accept circumcision, you have to keep the entire law. You have to keep the whole thing. Because logic would reason, God did not just give circumcision to Israel. He gave 600 other laws. He gave them 600 other things to keep. And so if you have to be circumcised to be saved, you have to keep all the other laws too. And if Galatians has made anything clear, it's that you can't do it. You haven't even kept the Ten Commandments. You you, you really haven't kept the other 600. And this is true of our self-justification too. We do this so often, we overlook our shortcomings and we think we're okay with God. We, I mean, we notice the, the smallest sins of another person, but we overlook our biggest shortcomings. We notice all the bad in other people, but we overlook the bad in us. So, yeah, I mean, I know I have a temper, and I like to gossip, but I'm at church every time the doors are open. I'm here on Sunday nights, people. I give to the offering, uh, and, and so I'm better off than those people who don't do that. 
but why do you hold yourself to a different standard than you do others? Because understand, people tend to use the excuse for not coming to church that Christians are all hypocrites. And I just want to say to them, everybody's a hypocrite. Nobody fully lives up to everything they say they believe all the time. Never. So I just want to ask those people, why do you accuse Christians of being hypocrites but not yourself? Because if you're going to justify yourself, if you're going to see yourself as good, as righteous, you have to hold yourself to the highest expectations that you have of everybody else. And you don't make it. None of us do. And Paul says, thirdly, verse 4, if you try to justify yourself, you are severed from Christ. You're cut off from Christ. When you do this, you sever yourself from him. Not that you can lose your salvation, that's not possible. If you're truly saved, you cannot lose it, um, but you, you sever off the power of the gospel working in your life if you try to hope in your own good works. If you aren't saved, you, you make it impossible for you to see your need for the gospel when you think you're okay because you're a good person. See, our righteousness is not in what we do. It's, it's secured in the future through Jesus. The reason we try to justify ourselves is that we think uh, our, our justification is found in the present. We have to keep ourselves in good standing with God, we think. But our justification is secured in the future. It's guaranteed. We, he says in verses 5 and 6, we wait for that hope of righteousness. When Christ died, he secured that. In the court of heaven, you're counted free. You're counted sinless. You're counted with no sin in you whatsoever. There's no need to try and make yourself right with God by your works. It's pointless. It's already achieved by Jesus for you and for other believers. That's something the Lord taught me this year. See, we get mad and hold, um, hold things against other people because we don't understand the gospel, because we don't understand what Jesus did. Here's the question. How can you hold something against a fellow Christian, whether it's your spouse or a member of this church or a preacher or whatever? How can you hold something against them, hold a grudge, not forgive them for something? Because if they're saved, God has completely forgiven every sin, every one of them. God holds no sin against them. Who are you to still hold something against them? Are you a higher judge than God? Because if you still hold something against a believer, that's what you're claiming. I cannot hold something against my wife or another pastor or one of you or a friend or any other believer because God does not do it. This is what justification is about. So we're free from having to prove ourselves, verses 7 through 12. We're free from falling away from the faith. We're free from that happening. He says, look, you people were running well, verse 7. You were running well, but someone hindered you from obeying the truth. They were running the race well, but they stopped. So when we lived in Kentucky, um, there was a 5K race every year on my seminary campus for missions. You paid like $25, and they went to missions, and you got to run a 5K. And I used to be a lot more of a runner than I am now. I still run, but not as much. And um, so I don't know if you know, but a 5K is 3.1 miles. That's how long it is. And so... Um, one of those three that I ran, I ran three of them over my time as a student. One of them I read the whole thing, highlight of my life, man, it was great. The one I ran after we got married, it was like the fall after we got married, I, I was out of shape from being a married person, I, I don't, I guess, um, but um, you, you know what I mean by that, um, but um, I started the race running well, 
and I ran well for about a, a quarter of a mile. Again, 3.1 miles is the total of this race. I didn't pace myself at all, and I lost it all. And once you lose it in a race, it's hard to get it back. And so I don't know if you know, but in a 5K, um, they, they typically have a car at the end of the line driving slowly behind the racers. And, um, well, this car tailgated me the entire race is all I'm going to say. But um, so the Galatians are running well. They were running well, but this false gospel about circumcision came in and led them astray, led them astray. It made them stop running. It, 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 remember, the, I, I, I told you the um, false gospels our day believes. So you got the forgiveness only. You've got the moralistic that we're saved by our good works. You've got the social gospel that we're, um, that, that the gospel is about, you know, changing society. You've got the prosperity gospel, which says that um, God's goal is to make us happy and healthy. You get the sentimental gospel, which ties faithfulness to God to the past. And then you've got the inclusive gospel that makes um, the point of the gospel about including the outsider. That these are the gospels we believe in our day, and they, they have just as much possibility of running us astray as what has happened here in Galatians. They were walking in the truth, but this false gospel of circumcision has corrupted the entire church, and they're all going astray. This is why you must not believe the lie that, that so many Christians believe that what you believe doesn't matter. That the things that you believe about all the different doctrines of the faith don't matter. It matters. I was in a Bible study once, and one of the people in that study, we were talking about some doctrinal issue, and one of the people in that study just said, you know, sometimes I think we're going to get to heaven and God's going to tell us how much time we wasted arguing about theology. That's a common view of many. Just love Jesus. It doesn't matter what you believe. Okay. I love my wife. I love her blonde pixie haircut. I love her dark skin tone. I love how well she works day after day as the CEO of her business. I love when she takes our dog for a walk every afternoon. I love watching horror movies with her. I love when she drives her 1989 Mustang. I love eating seafood with her. She really loves rainbow trout and salmon. All right, if you know my wife, none of that stuff about her is true. None of it. Some of it you can see just by looking at her. Some you have to know her to know. But if I were to say that about my wife, and you know my wife, you're sitting here thinking, I don't think this guy's thinking about the right person, right? If you believe the wrong things about Jesus, you can't love him correctly because you don't know who he is. This is why doctrine matters. This is why it matters what you believe about things like the sufficiency of Scripture and the holiness of God and original sin and the divinity and humanity of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the nature of the church and what's all that salvation is and what happens after we die and all kinds of other issues. You need to know what you believe because lest you believe it doesn't matter. Look at verse 9. A little leaven Leaven's the whole lump. The idea that you take a lump of bread, a lump of dough, and you put a little leaven in it and mix it around, and it's got the whole thing leavened. A, a little false teaching, a little wrong belief corrupts the entire church, and it spreads like wildfire. This is why when a church begins to believe wrongly on just one issue, whether it's ordination of women or marriage or gender or whatever, it's, it's not long before they start rejecting other doctrines like the authority of the Bible. It happens all the time, sometimes on denominational levels. When you believe a false gospel, 
It won't be long before you start denying the faith. This is why Paul has such a hard statement about the Judaizers. Look at verse 12. This is a shocking verse that if, if you read your Bible. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's a nice word. Um, I'm going to just know that he's confronting them about circumcision. I'm going to leave it up to you to understand what that verse means. But he wants false teaching gone. He wants them gone because it causes believers to go astray from the Lord. And it might even cause people who think they're believers to fall away completely. But freedom in Christ means that we can have confidence that we will never fall away if we hold true to what he says. If we're saved, we're free. You're not on the run from the police where they might catch you and lock you back up spiritually. No, your sentence was served by Jesus on the cross, so you are free forever. No worry of going back behind bars ever again. Remember, we're learning how to live free. Paul is confident the Galatians, verse, um, verse 10, he's confident the Galatians will not fall away. They will not take this false view. They will come back. If they are saved, they will not fall away. God will keep them to the end. He will. If they go astray, the good shepherd will go and bring them back. He will. And this is true of you too. It's true of you too. And it provides such freedom in the Christian life. You know, I never live my life worried God's going to forsake me because he said that he won't. I never worry God is going to lose his patience with me and give up on me because he said that he won't. I never worry that I'm going to, you know, that I'm not going to go to heaven when I die because he's promised me if I believe in Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, that's my future. I never have to worry he's going to forsake me because the gospel proclaims that will never happen to you. If you're born again, you can never lose it because God accomplished it, not you. You didn't earn it. You can't unearn it. You can live in freedom and in confidence that God will never turn his back on you ever. And what freedom that is. So freedom that you don't have to prove yourself. Freedom that you won't fall away from the faith. And thirdly, 13 through 15, the freedom to love. The freedom to love others. Verse 13, you're, in, you're free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. That is how some people wrongly apply freedom in Christ. Um, it's abused by some Christians, especially those who are young in the faith, not young in age, young in the faith. They've, they haven't been Christians very long. Um, they'll say things like, I'm free in Christ, so I can drink, and I can smoke, and I can let the minor cuss word fly out of my mouth. You know, as long as it's not the F-bomb or GD, I can say it every now and then because I'm free in Christ. Um, I can spend exuberant amounts of money on myself. I can watch movies that are extremely wicked. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to give or serve. I'm free in Christ. That's what some people will say, but that's not freedom in Christ at all. If you are captives to sin in the world, freedom in Christ does not give you the ability to go enjoy all those evils again. That's not freedom. That's returning to slavery. Christ has set you free from all of that, so you don't have to be enslaved by it anymore. No, it's a different kind of freedom. Look what it says. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It, free, freedom in Christ equips you to love your neighbor well. Uh, it, it equips you to love your neighbor well. Remember what, Paul's, what, what Sean's brother Paul said. I had to watch everything I did and every word I said. It was all I knew. I didn't know how to stand and talk to people. I didn't know what to say or how to act. He's, he's thinking, i got to watch every word I say because if I say the wrong word, that guard's going to you know, detain me that, that he's experienced for two years. The Old Testament law, in many ways, showed how to love our neighbor, but there, there were so many of them, it felt overwhelming and impossible to obey. And that's kind of the point, so that you run to a Savior. But to sum up the law entirely, Paul does that in verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You treat your neighbor the way you would want to be treated. You treat another person the way you would want to be treated. You take care of people the way you would want to be taken care of. You befriend people the way you would want to be befriended. You confront people for their good in a way you would want to know if danger was coming your way, if you'd fallen into it. You encourage others. You mourn with others. You support each other the way you would want to be treated. I've seen this post going around Facebook lately, and um, it says, essentially, you know, I stopped calling and keeping in touch with a lot of people, and Notice, nobody seemed to notice because they haven't called me back. And that's a really selfish way of viewing relationships. You know, I just stopped reaching out to people and they no longer reached out to me, so I guess they weren't really my friends. Well, if you're to treat others the way you want to be treated and you stop calling people, it shouldn't surprise you when nobody calls you back or keeps in touch with you. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you fulfill the entire law of Moses, he says. The Judaizer said it was to, be, was to be circumcised. It's actually to love. Look back at verse 6. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's what it is. We're free to love each other. We're free to love each other. We're freed from having to make sure we're doing it right. I'm in a couple groups on Facebook of pastors, and, and occasionally, you know, um, us that are less experienced will, will post on there, hey, I've got this going on, um, how do I do this? Or, hey, there's this situation in counseling I'm facing, what, what should I say to these people? Or, hey, um, this person lost a child, how do I minister well to them, what do I say? Um, just different things like that. And, you know, we'll post those scenarios, and, and I'm, I'm a very by-the-books kind of person in how I approach life. Um, so I want to make sure I'm doing everything right. That's just how the Lord wired me. Um, so I've posted a couple scenarios like that into these groups. They're private, so nobody can see them except those that are in there. Um, but I've just asked, hey, I've got this situation. How do I love and minister to this person in this situation? And after I've done that, I've thought to myself later, just go do it. Just go do it. Like there's no guidebook for how to love somebody well when they have a death in the family. Just go do it. Just go do it. They aren't, like I can promise you, coming to one of your houses when you've lost a loved one, none of you have ever been sitting there with a rubric thinking, all right, he did this correctly. He said this correctly. Oh, he didn't do this. Marking him down there. He's got a B so far. You've, you've never done that. And nobody does that. The, the only wrong way to love somebody is to not love them, right? Just go love them. And don't worry about if you say the right thing or do the right thing. That's the constant battle for me, and that's the, the slavery of not being free creeping back in all the time. 
living free in Christ frees you up from having to watch yourself and make sure you're doing everything correctly. Just go do it. Just go love your neighbor. The only instruction manual for that is love them the way you would want to be loved. What happens when you don't? Verse 15. What happens when you don't love them? If you fall into false teaching, like verses 7 through 12, you end up doing what happens in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. If you believe wrongly, it'll make you love wrongly, or not love at all for that matter. And it will result in a church biting and devouring one another. If you know of a church like that where everyone is fighting all the time, it's probably because they believe the wrong things. Now, the church statement of faith that they have may be orthodox, but the members don't believe it. They believe the church belongs to them and not to God. They believe the mission of the church is something different from what Scripture teaches. They, they believe in a different God than the God of Scripture, one that exists for their glory and not for his own, things like that. And it will work itself out in church fights, church factions, and church splits. May we never be that kind of church as Mount Zion. May we be a church that loves one another well for the glory of God, because this is how we fulfill the entire law of Moses. So understand how important this is. We must know that we're free in Christ, and we must live free. We must believe that we're free. We must recognize our freedom is given to us to love one another, and, and we must live in that way, because what does Paul say in verse 1? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, so stand firm and do not fall back into slavery. That's always the wrestling match that we're in, and may we fight that well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are free in Christ. We are not bound to our old life. We're new. We're set free. We're ransomed. And, and Lord, what thief can steal our heart's possession and what doubt can overcome our faith? Lord, you, you have paid our ransom. We praise you for that. Father, I pray that you would help us all live free in Christ and, and not fall back into slavery. Lest we um, take our eyes off Christ and lest the gospel not have power in our lives to work for us. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I will be at the front.